from the saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications, specializing in rural business and marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. From the saddle. I just need to take five and just go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure. I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> from the saddle. I'm Caitlin Hewitt, and this is From the Saddle. They say nice guys finish last, but when it comes to today's guest, that's definitely not the case. Dave Warsfold's a three-time Australian bareback champion who's rodeoed around the world. But if you were to pull up next to him at the pub, you'd never guess it. Throughout his career, Dave's put his head down, his bum up and worked hard. He treats rodeoing like the sport it is and trains like a professional athlete. All while being a good bloke, and that's what absolutely comes through in his conversation with Kay Becker. From the saddle. From the saddle. Morning, Dave. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, great. Great. Your, your name is well recognised throughout the rodeo industry, but let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up and, and how did you end up in, in this sport? Well, my family family owned a few places around Wendown here, and I was... Yeah, born and bred in Wendown, in the Wendown district, and and um, been involved with cattle and horses all my life, and ended up going to boarding school up in Rockhampton, and and that's where I first sort of got introduced into rodeos up there through you know going to St Brendan's College rodeo, and and of course the Great Western Hotel in in Rocky as well was a big part of it too, and you know young fellas wanting to get into rodeo, and we all want to be bull riders, and yeah, that's sort of how we got to start. Okay, so you started out bull riding. Um, I guess it goes without saying people who come from Tarum and Wandaan, it's sort of nearly indoctrinated into you. There's lots of rodeo riders come from that country. So you started out bull riding. What did your mother say when you rang up and said, Mum, I'm going to compete in the rodeo at St Brendan's? Um, I don't think there was any questions asked. I think I might have just snuck off and told them afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as, as kids, I suppose, Mum and Dad or Dad would sort of make us get on some potties and some steers and, and I don't know, a lot of kids are pretty keen. I was probably a bit timid to start with and and then, uh, you know, once you get a few road, you get a bit confident. But, yeah, we snuck off to, I remember it, sneaking off to St. Brendan's Rodeo on the, you know, the, the Rocky Grammar School bus took us out there and I got on my first bull, I think it was, because we'd only been on steers and that before then. And, you know, I think I got, might have got one jump, I got thrown off pretty quick. But I remember getting back to school that, the next day and ringing mum and dad and telling them and, and um, I suppose if I was excited about it they were happy for me but <laughs> don't really know what they thought of it at the time. Your mother probably knew there was no tr- no point in trying to talk you out of it then. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, keep me, probably thought it would keep me out of trouble I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so so you started um, riding um, bulls which sort of seems to be the fairly norm, very much the norm for people to get, who get into the rough stock end of the rodeo arena. When did you uh, decide to change to horses? Um, yeah, I suppose as a, as a junior back then, it's a bit different now. There's a lot of, you know, junior events with, with bucking horses now, but back then it was sort of mainly just steers and then you progress on the bulls. And, yeah, we were around Rocky there and there's a few contractors up there like Shane Eichert had bulls everywhere and, and then Matt Busby, Matt and George Busby had horses at a lot of those rodeos and, and Robert McPhee as well. and. And um, I suppose the Great Western played a big part in it. Me changing over because um, they had a few practice days there every week 
for the, for the bull riding out and then, and then the odd rodeos. I forget, they might have been nearly every fortnight or once a month back then, but they'd bring horses in there. And me and another fella, Stewie Crane, um, decided we'd get on some bareback horses in there to give it a go, and it sort of just went from there. Got a taste for it and, and, and loved it and, and kept going with it, yeah. So at that stage, were you competing in both both events, bulls and horses, or had you decided that you'd you'd give one away and focus on the other? No, I rode both for for quite a while. Like you know, it was a CRTA or Central Rodeo Cowboys Association up there around Rocky, and and um, I was doing both events at a lot of those, and um, I thought I was pretty successful with it, you know. And, and um, I was getting better at bareback riding, and I could, you know, ride the odd bull. You'd ride half of them, you're doing pretty good, you know. <laughs> and but, um, you know, I got to make the finals up there a few times, and and um, and got to win a, a bareback riding title up there, and you know, make the finals a few times in both events. And then uh, went to New Zealand and did a run over there with a few fellas. Um, I think it was me and Kevin Purcell and Harry Prow and Dave Finn. We all went over there and did the Christmas run over there, and I was riding two events over there, and and um, got enough one to make their, to go back and make their finals in both events, and and then after that progressed on to America and and kept going with it for I don't know probably another three or four years over there in both events, you know. The Christmas run in New Zealand, how long does that last for? You know, is it a you know the Christmas run in Australia is about three rodeos and lasts a week. Was it similar in New Zealand, or is it a bit more of a longer season for them over there in the summer? Um, it's much the same. Like when I say Christmas run, it's just it's a bit like down in Victoria here at Christmas time. There's just a good run. You can you know get probably eight rodeos in and in sort of two weeks, eight or ten rodeos in two weeks, and um, that's their busiest time of the year, I suppose. Well, it was then. I'm not sure how they work now, but. But, um, and you can get to travel on both islands, South Island you start with and, and same here, you start on sort of Boxing Day and, and go through for your for your two weeks or ten days and get a heap of them in and finish up on the top of the North Island and um, it's, a, it's, you know, it's sort of like this run down here, you, you get to do Victoria and, you know, southern New South Wales and South Australia and all in about two weeks, you know. So, yeah, we just had to go over there and, and loved it, yeah. By now, you've obviously decided that horses are, are, your, are your way forward and, the, and you'll give the bulls away. Is, what was the significant moment that you thought, I'm probably better on the back of a horse than I am on the back of a bull? What made you decide that that moment? Um, I think uh, probably injuries had a bit to do with it. I, was, I, was, um, I had a lot of, lot of trouble Aaron Groins riding bulls. I'm not sure why. I first told me Groins playing football at school and never had any trouble with them again. And then, um, and then I sent, seemed to keep having trouble tearing my Groins riding bulls. And um, I remember we were in the, in America there, and I had a mate with me, Tom Durbridge, and we went out. Oh, I must have been up the northeast of America there in Pennsylvania, and we were doing good. We were winning money everywhere, and then all of a sudden, I got on a little spinner there, and. Halfway through the ride, felt like someone jammed a knife in the groin, and that was the end of it. Um, I'd have a bit of a time off and time off from bareback riding too, you know. And, and um, I came back again, and and I guess I don't know whether you call it you lose your heart or the uh, fun wasn't there. I suppose when I came back riding bulls again, and and the bareback riding was still, you know, the adrenaline got to me, and I still loved that. But, but um, I came back trying to. 
you know, get a few bulls riding. I wasn't doing too good. And, and the last one I got on, we went down to Brazil there and got on a few, and I fell off the little spinner there. And I remember getting up thinking, geez, that's, that might be it. I felt, just felt hopeless. I couldn't ride a nice little spinner. And, and um, I won the bareback riding down there, and I thought, no, bugger it. I think I'll keep going with the bareback riding. It's, it's, you know, I'm loving it, and I'm doing pretty good at it. And, Bull riding not going to wreck waiting to happen, you know? Yep. So, I guess, why bareback, not the saddle bronc? Well, I still tell these young fellas now I'd rather drag by my hand than my foot. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I did get on a few, you know, when I was younger starting out. You know, we got on second divvies at St. Man Iser and, you know, Neba on a few of those bigger ones. We, I was um, getting on in three events and... And um, I don't know, it just, just didn't click for me like bareback riding did for some reason. But, but um, yeah, I wish I did put a bit more time into it because I just love riding bucking horses now and I sort of wish I did put a bit more time into it and maybe go to a school. But, but um, I guess I had a bit of success early on in bareback riding and just sort of just stuck with that. Stuck with what you knew. Yeah. Stuck with what paid the bills. Yeah, well, that's part of it. Yeah, it's always more fun when you can win a check, yeah. That's right. So did you come home from New, from New Zealand or did you just pack up your bag in New Zealand and ring your parents and say, well, I'm now heading to the States? Oh, kind of. It happened in the same year, I suppose. We did that Christmas run there that, you know, that was in December, in the early January. And then um, their finals were around Easter time in April, I reckon it was. And I went back over there and, and did those finals and I think I might have stood the average in the bareback garden with Rex Church at the time and, and might have placed an average in the bull rod. And, um, I came home and then there was a few of us, me and uh, Craig Possum and Quinn Allen, and decided we were going to go to the States for a couple of months and, and have a go. And, yeah, we, we booked our tickets and just decided we are going to head over there. You know, I think we had a six-month visa maybe and uh, head over there and just see how it went. And, you know, we ended up flying into, into Texas and worked our way up to Canada to do the Stampede in Calgary and back down again, you know. And I think we stayed for four months that trip. Yeah, so at this stage, how old are you? Um, yeah, I guess I was, you know, finished. We went to grade 12 in, in Rockhampton, so I would have been, you know, 17 that year. We finished school there and I would have been 19 or 20, I reckon, when we did New Zealand and then headed to the States that same year. So, yeah, it would have been turning 20 that year, I think. So did your parents sort of say, we'll just let him get it out of his system and he'll come back and, and we'll have someone here to help us run all these places? Or did they just realise that it was going to be nearly a life, well, it has now like been a lifelong love? Um, I think so. They never really sat down and said, right, you've got to do this, this and this. They sort of, I suppose they give me a pretty free reign and, and um, supported me the whole way. And, you know, they never told me when to come home or anything. They never told me I had to come home, but just... Yeah, I guess I've always loved coming back here and helping them when I did have time off rodeo on over there. And, and then uh, when it was time for me to come home or I decided to come home, I'd, I wanted to come back and, you know, keep helping them on the places here as well as other work around here too, yeah. Yeah, so does your mother go and watch you? Or she probably now, she's old hat for her, so she doesn't. But in the early days, did she sort of go and sit and think, oh, I just need to be there or? Yeah, they were. Um, I don't think they... They did, oh, well, if they did stress about it, they didn't tell me about it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember coming, you know, junior bull ridings around the place and, and they, you know, when I was home here, they'd jump in the car and I remember Dad driving me to, or helping me drive to Mara, I think it was. I would have been 17 or 18, more than 17, I think, and 
Yeah, I think I might have won Barton Bullrod and, and placed in the juniors and, and Dad was there with the video camera and, in the arena and he nearly got run over. And, <laughs> and, um, you know, we did do a few. I remember Mum coming with me to Krakow and, you know, when I was still riding juniors then and, and um, yeah, they'd come to a few events and, and then when the finals were on, they'd always come to the finals up there in Rocky and, and watch me and support me too. And I guess I've never touched wood. I've never been hurt bad, so they've never really had to to worry about it, I suppose. Yeah. Clearly, your parents played an, an integral role in, in you being able to do it. I guess they supported you both through this. Their emotional support and financially, they would have helped you along the way. But who else helped you along this journey? I mean, you've had a pretty amazing uh, trip so far. Yeah, well, there's sort of been a few fellas, I suppose, helped me out early on. Um, I guess when I was 16 or 17, there's a fellow that sort of moved to the area here called Brad Howe. He was friends with mum and dad, and mum and dad introduced me into to Brad, and uh, I spent a bit of time with him when I was sort of a kid, and you know learned to break a few horses in with Brad and chewing horses, and and he was a handy bull rider and bareback rider in the day, and um, I guess he had a fair bit to do with me getting started on the right track, and you know what sort of telling me what sort of holes to hang around, and and you know not to get tangled up with bloody drugs and drinking and all that sort of stuff. Um, he'd probably be the first fellow that, that had a lot to do with me continuing rodeo when I first got an interest in it. And then I guess um, the days when I was finished school and hanging around Rocky there and there was fellas up there, Daryl Doyle, he's a photographer now. Well, he does a few of the PBRs and that, but he was a, a big help in me getting started bareback riding. I think I rode in his spurs for most of my career, you know. He, he was a great help. He gave a lot of blokes a hand up. He had lots of advice and was, uh, you know, pretty successful at it himself. So I guess he could he could hand out the advice. Like I say, there's plenty of us who sit on the rail thinking we're all champions. Yeah, that's right. It's always good having a fellow like him who'd been there and done that, and he knew how to explain things, and he was a great help, you know. And I suppose the other fellows up there, some of those contractors up there, like Robert McPhee and, and George Busby and Matty Busby, were played a big part in that, in running nice ones in for you and pushing you along, you know. So have you ever had any desire to own any of your own or do you own any horses of your own or do you think I'll just I'll just ride them, someone else can look after them? Bucking horses, you mean? No, yeah. We've had a few talks here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no bucking horses. Yeah, you know, there's there's a bit of, a bit of stuff from overseas getting in amongst these contractors here now and I always thought it'd be good just to have a little body truckload of real good ones you could cut down the road and throw a few fellas off. But yeah, maybe one day. I guess now, at, at your age and with the experience you've got, you don't need to um, practice, and I don't really know how you ever practised riding a bucking horse, but um, what what do you do now to keep fit, to, to be able to continue to compete and be as competitive as you are? Because you would have to acknowledge that there's some pretty good young blokes right up your clacker right now. Um, so what keeps Dave Worsfold the fellow that they want to beat all the time? Um. Yeah, I think being fit is the biggest part of it now. Sort of, I seem like um, when I've got close to 30, your body starts breaking down a bit if you don't look after it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially bareback riding, it seems like it's the toughest thing on you. Or I feel, you know, unless you're getting jumped on by a bull every weekend. But, but um, yeah, I think being fit is the biggest part of it. You know, I've got a, like, called a spur board. You practice spurring your horse on that. And, um, you know, lifts and weights and push-ups and sit-ups and lots of stretching and, yeah, and, and jogging. If your joints are good, I've sort of got a roll machine here now and it's a bit easier on me and, 
helps you keep your wind up, I suppose. And yeah, I try and try and get a bit done here. You know, most most nights before you have dinner, or you know, when you get a spare chance. My wife's pretty good. She, you know, we got two little girls here now, and, and she'll look after them and say, right, you can fly out and do your workout real quick before tea, and I'll duck out there and do half an hour of night time most nights if I can. And and, and that's that's yeah, that's about what I do at the moment. I guess. And no doubt you get asked this often. If you had some advice to the young fellows coming along now, I mean, when you go to a rodeo, most of them look like they're sponsored by um, Red Bull and Bundaberg Rum. Um, <laughs> you've said you, by your own own admission, you haven't had a lot of injury. Do you put that down to your to your level of fitness that you've maintained? And certainly, as you've got older, you've had to maintain that more. But you must have been relatively fit when you were young. Even could you stress that to them enough? How how fit you need to be to do this sport competitively and safely? I think so, yeah. I, I try and get in the air a bit and, and let them know what sort of exercises and things they do that can, you know, keep them from getting hurt as well as better their riding. But I don't know, back you know, back when I was starting out, there was a lot of ringing fellas about and everyone was, you know, riding horses all the time, whether you're chasing cattle or breaking horses in them. And that seems to be going by the way sort of bit now with younger fellas now. A lot of fellas are in the mines or... yeah. Or you know doing trades and that sort of thing, but I suppose now with the jobs they got now, they need to spend a bit of time in the gym or or get a bit of gear at home and and try and keep a bit fit to you know prolong your career or avoid getting injured. Yeah, it's a sport of ups and downs. You know when you're on the highs, the highs are really high, and when you're on a low, you often wonder what the hell am I doing this for? What's been your biggest high throughout your career? You must have one title that you think. I'll hold that dear for the rest of my life. Yeah, well, there's been a few. I, you know, I can't, still can't describe the feeling I had that day winning. I know it was just the novice, but winning the novice bareback riding up there at Calgary in Canada and the people in that place and the atmosphere there, that was, yeah, I never felt that feeling again. I don't think that's one of the biggest things that ever happened but as far as a few wins I've had. And then, um, there's a few times in the States there, you know, whether you're 90 on a horse somewhere or I think it was Mineral Wells in Texas here. I had, had a horse called Assault with Rafter G's and I was 90 on him and, you know, got to win $800. But that was a pretty big highlight, just getting to be 90 on a horse that goes to the NFR in Vegas every year. And then the next year that kid rode him and he won a million dollars. That was one of the lows. <laughs> I got dollars and felt like all out of it, but yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, as a kid, all you wanted to do was be an Australian champion, and I guess the first time I got to to put one of those buckles on my belt was um that was that was pretty big to me too, you know. And where did you do that? Uh, that was the first year they went to Warwick, actually. Mm. Yeah, that was that was 2015, and, and um, I got to win the average at the finals, and then and then um, yeah, won the the title for the year. And that would have been a good place to win it. You would have been amongst a lot of good friends that night. Oh, for sure, yeah. But Warwick's always been one of my favourite rodeos and you see people there from, you know, all walks of life there. You catch up with people there you haven't seen for bloody 10 years. And, and um, yeah, it was a great great weekend. But that weekend I got to win the first title there. So, you, you you know, you've won a lot of titles over the time, but there must have been um, throughout your career some times where you thought, I need to give this away. Uh, you know, I've had enough. I suppose, yeah. You know, in rodeo world, they call that getting in a rut. You know, I suppose it comes with anything in life. But 
so I've never never had a, a bad experience thinking bugger it, I'm finished. I've always sort of thought it'll, you know, kept the frame of mind that everything will just come good again, you know. Mm. There's times where you get, you're broke and you're not drawing good, you know, it's happened before and, yeah, you, you might have to take a bit of time off to get a bit of money together, yep. you know, to, to pay your entries again and, and then ride through it and then all of a sudden you'll draw the right horse somewhere and you'll pull a check again and everything just seemed to click again from there. So the checks, what's the biggest check you've won? Um, oh, the, in Waco in Texas, I won the Heartland Finals there. I can't remember what year it was now. It might have been 2008, maybe. Mm. And uh, I think it was about 14,000 there over the, over the weekend. That would have been big bickies back then. Oh, yeah. And there was, there was another time when Tom Durbridge was over there listening. I won the bull riding out up the northeast there somewhere. And it might have paid seven or 8,000 US then, too. And, you know, you never think you're going to see another broke day. <laughs> <laughs> but you do. <laughs> So over the years, you would have ridden hundreds, if not thousands, of Broncos. What's your favourite? Is there one horse when you draw that you think the titles? This I'm going to win this rodeo, hands down. And where is that horse? Well, well, I've been on quite a few good ones in America there, I suppose. But the one that sort of sticks out in my mind, and everyone will know this too, but it's um, Little Egypt of Malcolm and Eddie Gills, and uh, I've been on her probably eight times now, I suppose, and. I was lucky enough to be 91 on her at Nebo there a few years ago and, and that's the Australian record now, that 91-point ride there. Yeah. But um, every time I've drawn her, I've, I've won on her and, and, you know, been a lot of points on her and, yeah, she'd have to be my favourite, I'd say, yeah. So what do you think makes a good bareback horse? Um, it's a bit hard to explain because, you know, a lot of people see a horse throw a fella off there and they'll think, geez, that horse bucks, you know, but... You know, with, with bareback horses or, or bronx or bulls too, there's ones that can leap in the air and look real showy and they can be really easy to ride and you can get some other ones that are, you know, strong and got a bit of drop to them and, and throw fellas off pretty quick and then you can have other ones that have got a lot of moves in them and, and throw fellas off quick because, you know, they're sort of the eliminated kind of horse. But the ones I like the most are the ones that, that will get in the air a bit and, and drop a bit and I suppose do have a few moves in them and if you ride them right, you're uh, going to be a lot of points, but if you ride them wrong, then they're probably going to buck you off. But, uh, yeah, the ones that stay close to the suits and get in the air are the fun ones to ride. Over the years, Dave, you would have seen some huge changes in the sport. Um, what do you think have been some of the most significant and made the sport better than it was when you started out as a, as a kid of 15? Um, I guess it's how the rodeos run now. That You know, they're, they're putting on more of a show and... I suppose the biggest changes would be the calibre of stock. You know, there's there's a lot of breeding programs making things so much better over here now. You know, the days are gone when when there's you know committee horses run in or wild ones run in. It's they're all sort of bred stock, and and um, you know you can't wait till Monday afternoon or Monday night comes in to see the draws to see what you're getting on. But I guess yeah, the the calibre of horses would be the biggest thing, and and it's getting. That way here, like it is in America, it's like I, when I was over there, it's it's treated more like a sport than it than it is, you know, just a weekend for fellas to get on and, and then go to the bar afterwards. It's more of a sport, and people are putting more time into keeping fit and and um, trying to ride good instead of just going there to have fun, just have fun and play up. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, it's a 
its way there here now. I think it's, you know, these schools, we've been running a few schools here and these young fellas are, are keen to learn and, you know, worry a bit more, like, more about riding than going to the bar. A bit more professional than it ever was, I guess. Yeah, that's it, yeah. So, Dave, you've touched on being in America. Paint a picture for the listeners of what it's like to be an Australian cowboy turn up in America and rock up to rodeos. Did you live out of your car? What do you actually do when you get there? Um, well, yeah, when we first went there, there were three of us went. Um, I suppose it's easy when you take a few mates with you. And, and uh, yeah, the first thing we did was try and buy a van and so we had somewhere to sleep and, and then hit the road. But um, everyone over there was so friendly. You know, they'd look after you wherever you went. And uh, I suppose one of the things to do when you do is put on an American accent when you're trying to order takeaway food because they can't understand you otherwise. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a bit frustrating trying to order food and they can't bloody understand you. And uh, yeah, you end to put on a bit of American accent to try and order your food. But <laughs> So you rock up to uh, to a rodeo in Wyoming. Do you walk in and go, I'm Dave Worsfold and I'm from Australia? And someone says, are you got a bed tonight? Do you want to come stay with us for a couple of weeks? Uh, you know, if you rocked up to the Cracker Rodeo from, from Victoria and said, I'm so-and-so and I'm here, they go, oh, good on you, mate. Thanks for coming. And that would be the last you'd hear of, of anybody. You know, the, in the States, everyone says that it, it's a welcoming um, crowd how did you go? You're in a van. There's three of you. None of you are little blokes. I wouldn't like to be sleeping beside Craig Postle in a van. <laughs> you know, how long did you do that for? Oh, yeah. It depends where you were, you know, because you'd, you'd always make friends behind the shoots there. There's probably, you know, obviously never seen before and you'd get to talking to people and, it, you know, it wouldn't take long till someone asks you where you're heading next and if you need somewhere to stay or call in their place and have a shower or or tell you a good place to go to get a room or a good, good gas station somewhere to, to get a shower at the, you know, the truck stop or something. It's, it seems like all the, the people behind the sheds over there, you know, they're all happy to see someone new they've never seen before. And, and uh, I suppose they can't believe you're in a different country, some of them, and, and trying to do what they're doing, so they want to help you out any way they can, you know. One of the things that, you know, is noticed a lot by Australians when you watch um, – Probably more so bull riding on the on the television, and you read about it. Is there's a strong Christian ethic through the through the rodeo community in uh, America? Did you come across that? Is it as as strong as what they portray on the television and in magazines, or is it is it no different to what it's like here? No, it's it's a very Christian country over there, and. Yeah, every, everything you see on TV is about look at how it is over there. You know, all the, all the rodeos over there, they're, they're very patriotic and then and Christian as well. You know, they, they say their prayer every time and there's always, well, a lot of those rodeos, there'll be a preacher fellow there as well and he might be, you know, I remember going to Cheyenne there and there'd be a preacher there walking around behind the streets and he'd want to say a prayer for you and tip a, tip a bit of Hollywood on your, on, your, on your horse or something like that. How'd that go for you? Oh, I didn't win the rodeo. But <laughs> <laughs> the horse didn't flip over on me either, so I suppose it was a good thing. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's it. that's the biggest thing. A lot of fellas from here notice going over there because you know a lot of fellas are here. There, it's I suppose religious people here, but a lot of people haven't had a lot to do with it. And then you get over there, and yeah, you don't know what to think of it to start with. But it's friendly, and they all want you to do good, so you fit in with them. Yeah. 
So what's the life of Dave Warsfold look like now? I mean, you've had an amazing experience and, and travelled to the States and a world recognised now, I guess, within the sport. So what does it look like now for Dave? Married with two kids, how does, how does the rodeo life fit in with that? Starting now because these girls are, you know, well, Rainey's our eldest, she's nearly two and a half now and, and Darcy's about six months now and Rainey loves riding a pony and, you know, the next thing will be her stepping up and, and uh, maybe do a bit of competing. She got to win her age champion at the Jim Carter here at the camp after he's sort of just the end of last year and, and she's pretty keen, so it's pretty exciting to see that take shape and, you know, I was still got a Another year or two left in me, at least, I reckon. I don't feel like pulling up just yet. So we're still doing a few rodeos, you know, around here and in Queensland and and uh, probably not travelling as much as I would have done when I was, you know, 25. But, um, yeah, keep doing a few rodeos. And, and um, yeah, lately, I suppose, we've been running a few schools or helping run a few schools as well to try and get a few young fellas keen and, and off to the right start as well. There's a, f- a few of you in that local area of yours down there who are all, um, you know, very well regarded within Australia, certainly, um, within the in the circuits. Do you see yourself sort of stepping up into that role and making a bit more of that, um, being, you know, running some schools and, and being, stepping out of the, off the back, I guess, and behind the shoots to give some coaching, encouragement, advice, call it what you like, to, to some of the younger blokes? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I was saying, we we had a couple of schools there last year, and I think we got a few more in the works. Hopefully, to to get a few fellas started again there, or you know, young fellas off the right start. Yep. So, do you see yourself as a judge? Um, probably not. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. I'd yeah, I'd know. I'd, you know, just with not so much here in the states. There, you'd always be looking at judges' seats and looking at judges, thinking, "Gee, that fellow was hard on me there, or that fellow give me a few there." And God, a lot of people, buddy, I suppose, thinking I've done wrong by him. I don't know if I could take the criticism, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Easier to just walk away. So, the life after rodeo? Will you step onto a camp horse, or are you going to just walk right away and concentrate and become a pony club dad? Um, no, we we've got a few few horses here. My wife Shana, she's um got a few here, she's been breeding and breaking in, she breaks in for a living and has got a few cow horses bred here and a few barrel horses too and yeah, I suppose in the next year or two we'll be trying to get us get a few young ones that started started in a few drafts around here. You know, there's a fair few drafts within a few hours of one day on here and yeah, in the next year or two we should have a few probably go on the truck and do a few, I reckon. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who'll welcome you into their fold. Yeah, hopefully. Or, yeah, a few fellas might like to see someone buddy get dusted in the camp or something, especially <laughs> a radio fold. <laughs> get a laugh out of it. You won't be the first and you won't be the last. <laughs> so just to touch on, I guess, um, you know, if you've got some advice to the up-and-coming or those boys who want to become an airback rider, what is your advice to them about the sport to be successful? And let's let's face it, you've been pretty successful in in a career that that you've dedicated clearly a lot of time, effort, energy, and money to. What, what's your advice? You didn't get to where you are without doing something right. Um, I guess the thing I would do if I was starting over again, and I'd tell every young fella to do the same thing, is is to get to some schools of some handy fellas, you know. Get to some schools and, and learn how to do it right from the very start. And then, you know, having quality gear, 
is one of the main things too. You know, everyone's trying to buy the cheapest gear they can to get a start, and that's just asking for, for trouble, I reckon. But getting to some schools and getting the right gear, and then I guess the next best thing would be to get in, get in with the right uh, group of followers, you know. Someone who wants you to do good and, you know, who's not into bloody, I don't know, I keep saying drugs or drinking too much, you know. I think if you've um, got to try and live your life a bit, a bit better than just playing up and, yeah, work out if you want to rodeo for a living and put everything into it, you know. Yeah, it's one of those sports you sure will get hurt if you want to continue to live the life on the wrong side of the tracks. It's not made for that type of environment, is it? That's right. You know, every time you nod, you sort of, you put, you know, really you're putting your life on the line. So you, if you think of it that way, you're going to, you know, put all your effort into it and, and everything into it every time you do nod yet. You've said um, in the, during the course of the interview that you've run some schools um, for people. Do you just want to give us a bit of an outline and where you do that and, and how and why and what goes on when you actually run a school? Yeah, the Turum Rodeo Committee in Turum has, has uh, organised a few and we've gone up there and uh, last time myself and Tony Heckscher, he's the four times Australian champion there back right back in the day too. We um, had a few young fellas show up there for that one and and, um, and Rick Knutson brought horses in and um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good way to, to um, get them fellas started and, and Rick has a, yeah, a heap of horses here in Turum that Jason Crawford's looking after and and, um, yeah, we had one there. And, and then uh, Tommy Webster, young fellow over in June there, he organised one of his place there a little while ago. Yep. And, um, yeah, it was it was a good show. And Tommy's just started riding bareback horses himself and, and he's come a long way pretty quick and it's going to be a fellow to watch here soon. And then we had one here in Wondarland, uh last year, then towards the end of last year, not long after that one of Tommy's. And, and uh, same deal, we had Rick's horses at them all. And, yeah, we've had a big showing up just this last year because there's been not too much on, I suppose, and all these young fellas are keen, which is bloody good to see because the numbers have sort of been down a little bit the last few years. And, and uh, we had that one in Wendowin here and, and Cameron Webster and, and uh, Greg Hamilton sort of helped out with the bronc riding side of things too. And, and then I had Jake Marshall and Clint Burton come in too and, and they both won a lot in their, their time as well. And Yeah, it was, it was a really good day here too. At these schools, I guess you see there's all, all sorts of talent about, you know, out there, those that are really good at it and have got a natural instinct, something which you must have had a bit of yourself, and then there's those that have to try really hard, and then there's those that can try as hard as they like and are never going to make it. Um, I sort of haven't really run across a fella like that just yet, I suppose, you know. <laughs> yeah, it'd be odd fella, it'd, it'd look like he's a bit too top-heavy and and um, you'd sort of, you know, you'd make a point to tell them that they need to spend a bit of time getting fit and it'll help your riding a lot, you know. Mm. But, um, yeah, I guess the biggest thing, it, it doesn't matter how much coordination they got or how much natural ability, if they got try, they got a lot of a try about them, they're going to make it. Yep. But, yeah, most of these fellas have been pretty good and, you know, there's a few fellas there you'll see, you know, they might just do the school and that might be the last of it. And, and um, yeah, I'm, you know, happy to tell them that, if that's not what they want to do, that's fine. That's, I suppose that's the biggest part of having a school is for fellas to also come and try it out they've never been on before to see if they want to do it. And, um, yeah, I guess you get a few of those guys come along and, and get on a few and they think it's not for them and yeah, they might go to the other end of the arena or, you know, go to bull riding or something instead, yeah. So when you run a school, um, you know, for anyone who's out there listening and they see, you know, a school's being run, do you run it in all stages from those who it's their first go so they're going to see if they like it right through to people who do it every weekend but want some refining of, of what they're doing from, from someone with, with your experience 
or is it, you know, you only have it for people who know what they're doing? No, it's open to anyone really, yeah. You know, we try and, try and match horses with the fellas' capabilities or, you know, where they're at. And um, But, yeah, we'll, we'll start, you know, at the start of the day, you're looking at all their gear and try and get all their gear straightened out and, and then get them on a bucking machine or, or a spur board before you go anywhere near a horse and get to work out, you know, their ability is before you strap their rigging on a horse, you know. Mm. But, yeah, every, every level, you'll get foals from every level show up. There's foals that have, you know, been riding for a few years and been winning the check here and there that will come and want to get on a few and they might be having trouble with something, I suppose, and, and try and sort that out to the young fellas who haven't ever bloody touched a horse before and, you know, by the end of the weekend, yeah, they've all been on been on a few and, and um, yeah, hopefully they've learned something and you've steered them in the right direction a little bit. So who are the up-and-comings? Have you seen anywhere you think, well, this we'll, we'll see this bloke, he'll be an Australian champion? You mentioned Tom Webster. Anyone else in the in the wings? Well, there's a few fellas, you know, I'm not just saying fellas have been to the schools we've had up here, but there's a few young fellas down south there. The kid at the moment, Jared McCain, has been winning a lot um, the last year or so. He's from down there in, you know, Victoria there, and, and uh, he's been doing pretty good. And, and, yeah, Tommy Webster's come a long way. He's up here and... Oh, another fellow there called me the other day. Was, uh, I think his name was Henry Watkins. He's from in New South Wales there somewhere. And, and uh, yeah, was, you know, watching those fellows that sport a bareback on looks pretty broad, I think. Oh, that's great. Great to hear. Dave, thank you very much for that. We wish you many more successful markouts and uh, we look forward to uh, hearing of your further updates in time to come. Take care. Safe riding. Excellent. Thanks very much, Kay. Thanks for having me. See you. Thanks to our sponsor, Hewitt Consulting and Communications. I'm Caitlin Hewitt, the founder and co-host of From the Saddle. I started this podcast a year and a half ago because I knew important stories from rural Australia weren't being told. We hear stories of triumph and tenacity, heartache and loss from rodeo riders, outback ringers, cattle traders, bronze sculptors and more. From the Saddle is an independent podcast. It's just us telling stories that matter to our community and we are so stoked that nearly 100,000 people have joined us for the ride. We're looking for partners this season to help tell these stories because we think they're worthy of being told. They're a part of our history and possibly our future. If you're interested, we'd love to hear from you.